Hi, friends. This is episode 25 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi, everybody. I have to tell you, I am just having the time of my life with you and with the community, the conversation, where everything's been going. And I have to say a great big thank you. I've been receiving so many emails and messages from so many of you who've been listening and interacting with this podcast. Just this past week, I received two messages from two of you, and you know who you are because I wrote you back personally, and you both were so dear, sweet, and supportive saying, who do we write to check out to to support this ministry because it's making a difference in our life. And I told you, and I'm going to tell everyone listening, look, I'm not in this for the money. We don't want your money, but I do want something. And if you want to do something very valuable and something that can help support this ministry, because we're really fortunate to have a supportive group of people who who are making sure this podcast gets on the air. If you really want to support, can you do me a favor? Say a quick prayer and say, God, who can I share this message with? Who needs to hear about the character of God like this? Because I want to spread this message and help people to truly have a close, loving relationship with God. Pray about those people, and whoever God puts into your mind, as crazy as it may seem, as as if it's somebody who you might even think is not even interested in the things of God, if you will take the act of faith, step forward and say, will you please listen to a life-changing message with me and help them to connect to the Bible Lab podcast. That would actually be the most powerful and supportive thing that you can do for us right now. Make sure you connect them with our website, thebiblelab.com, so that they can get their study guide so that they can follow along and not get lost in in all of it. And have them also connect with our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram to make sure they're staying up to date with all the new resources that are coming out. We've got a bunch of new, very cool stuff coming out. So we want to make sure that you are in the know. Now, this week, we are starting a brand new series to the podcast. It's called The First Sermon. And what it's talking about is Jesus' very first sermon on the mount. And you are going to love it. You'll never see Jesus' sermons the same way again. It's the most exciting sermon. It's the reason why it stood the test of time is because what Jesus said was truly revolutionary, not just in his day, but in our day as well. And so I invite you to sit back, relax, say a prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to translate his sermon into your context and into your life today. Welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, yes and no cards. You ready? Number one, if I were asked to preach a sermon, I would be overjoyed. You guys are awful fast on this one. (laughs) The vast majority of you are saying no. The rest of you I'll be talking to later about leading the Bible. Why is the yes cards going down? (laughs) Those yes cards went down so fast. (laughs) They say that on the ranking of things that people fear, that public speaking ranks higher than death. People, (laughs) I see a yes card back here. People are more afraid of getting up front than they are being up front in a casket. That's awesome. 
I'm more afraid of death because I already know because of uh, speaking over and being on platform in, in the sanctuary, I know what I look like with makeup. And so I, I fear death more. Number two, God blesses you when, he, when you act like he wants you to. God blesses you when you act like he wants you to. That's a tough one. You're taking a while. Oh, we're split. Looks like about 60% yes, a lot of I don't knows, and several knows. I would guess about 10% knows. Okay? That's a good one because we're quite conflicted with this today, aren't we? Because like I've said before, we are on this theological pendulum ever swinging, and we've done the whole thing of behavior modification. If you want to be uh, saved, you've got to modify your behavior, and then Jesus will love you. And we've pushed away from that into, no, it's grace. You're saved by grace. And now we're somewhere in the middle again because it's swinging back the other way. And we're saying, we understand it's not, it's not unconditional relationship. It's unconditional love. There are conditions to having a relationship. And so I understand why so many, many of you are conflicted. I think Christ's introduction on the Sermon on the Mount is going to help you quite a bit today to find that balance point of, does it matter what you do? Does God bless you when, he, when you do what he wants you to do? It's going to be a, a really interesting thing to see what Jesus says today. Number three, Jesus made people laugh quite often when he preached. Jesus made people laugh quite often when he preached. All right, we've got about... It looks like about 60 or 70% yes. The rest of you are I don't know and a few no's, okay? Depending on how you were brought up and maybe the decade you were brought up, you're like, no humor in church, right? One of the first critiques I got in pastoring was I should not be funny. My response was, I don't think I am. Number four, I can list at least a dozen funny things that Jesus said while he was preaching. I can list at least a dozen funny things that Jesus said. Well, wait a minute. You guys said he was funny, and now it's predominantly no. I got like 85% no, and a couple of you say yes. I'm going to tell you something. Theologians, these wordsmiths that uh, understand uh, Greek and Aramaic, They've calculated that around 80% of every one of the red letters that are in the Bible, Christ words, around 80% are humorous in some form or fashion. Whether it's a pun, a joke, a play on words, sarcasm, uh, about 80% of what Jesus said. That's why they called him a wine-bibber, okay, a drunkard, because he just wasn't serious enough. Number four. Uh, sorry, number five, last one. I've always thought of the Beatitudes as quite the humorous sermon intro. Whoa, almost everybody know. Thank you for the couple of you that say yes, you probably understand Greek. <laughs> I'd say it's Greek to me, but that means it's easy. For the rest of you, it means it's hard. So we're going to take a look at this today. Christ opens up his very first sermon. Now, something we need to understand as we step inside this brand new series, 
a 12-part series called The First Sermon. We're going to step slowly through what did Jesus say in his very first recorded sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Many people, when they read this, they think, well, Jesus is already established. No, he does not yet have all his disciples. He's just getting started. He's introducing himself not only to the crowds, but to people who will potentially end up being his disciples. This is his very first introduction to the people. And he he stands up to preach, and he starts out with the Beatitudes. Many people have read through these and tried not to snore. Now, I'll tell you this. The very first time I ever preached, I was really bad preaching and I'm still working on it, uh, but really bad preaching when I started out. I'll never forget my very first sermon. I was a sophomore in high school and our school had uh, organized groups that would go out to different churches in the area to uh, put on the whole church service. And I was selected to do the sermon. Now I was nervous because, like you, I didn't like getting up front very much at all, especially talking about spiritual things. Very unconfident about any of spiritual speaking up front. And so I'll never forget being in this really small church. There might have been 45, 50 people in the church. It's tile, so everything echoes. And I'm preaching, and on the very front row, aisle seat, is a man in a plaid shirt who just cannot stay awake. And so he's there trying to stay awake. But I have to tell you, I was extremely boring because I was putting myself to sleep, okay? It was that bad. And so I finally get down to the end. Let's land the plane. Let's finish this sermon. And this guy starts snoring. And like I said, it's a tiled church. It's very small and it's echoing. And so as he's snoring louder and louder, I'm trying to pray louder and louder because I'm certain no one can even hear, me, uh, hear my prayer. And so I'm praying louder and louder and louder and he's snoring louder and louder. And finally I say, amen. And everyone says, amen. And he has one gripping snort and wakes up. <laughs> Funniest thing was on the way out, he said, hey, great sermon. I was like, Really? To this day, I question every single one of you when you say that. Jesus starts out, and if I were to get up front and just read this, just read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 up front in the sanctuary, many people would start nodding off. And the problem is, just like a lot of the things that we found before, is that when you translate from an original language into our language, English, a lot is lost in translation. Today, you're going to see in a big way that it's not just that the language is lost in translation, the humor is lost in translation. And so I want you to look at your study guide, and let's just take a look at Jesus' intro in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. It goes like this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of, uh, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you read the word blessed over and over there, blessed, 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 what, what do you think Jesus is trying to say? When you, when you read blessed, what is Jesus saying? What have you heard growing up that Jesus is trying to say over and over here? Raise your comment cards if you have a comment, and we'll get a microphone to you right away. What do you think Jesus is saying by the word blessed? I was taught that it meant um, God was pleased with you. Great. It, that's, it's true. Blessed means God is pleased with you. Exactly. What else have you heard that blessed means? Yes, sir. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. <laughs> Don't worry. You're going to be okay. I love that one. Right over here. I thought it meant be happy. Very good. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Exactly. Anybody else? What do you think blessed means here? Just to stay calm because God is favoring you and it's pleased with you. You're, you're all right. Okay, good. So it's like those uh, t-shirts or signs, keep calm, carry on. Okay, good. Back here. Maybe just an example. When you help someone, it makes someone happy, uh-huh. uh, being joy. I think the most blessing, we got to bless because the person, the person we are helping, they be happy, but we are the ones the the most be happy. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, and I deal with this quite a bit when we do mission trips. Randy Bates over here deals with this all the time with quiet hour mission trips. Uh, the the struggle between who are we going to serve because who's receiving the biggest blessing? Is it the people who go to serve the missionaries or is it the mission field? And that's the constant struggle that you go through, right, Randy, is making sure that the, the people we go to serve are the most blessed uh, rather than just those that are serving. Very good. So a lot of comments here. We've got one more back here. Yes. Go ahead, sir. I, I would say praise the Lord. Okay. That he, that he is blessing me. Yes. Very good. Very good. All of the things that you guys said are correct. These are ways to translate this word blessed, makarioi in Greek. It does mean that God is pleased. It does mean that you are happy. It does mean that you are in some way blessed. But when you look at the, at the time of Christ when he spoke and just look at what is the literature that the people are reading at the time of Christ, because that's what you have to think about. Because like even here, if people were to connect with our podcast, let's say, 2,000 years from now. A lot of the references that I make, people say, what is he talking about? And they can go a completely different direction because they don't know I'm referring to something that is part of our culture, our, our modern common culture that, that we have. In this same way, if you read the, the books that are available during the time of Christ, that the people were reading, that when Jesus says, makarioi, blessed, blessed, 
as we translate it, what would they hear? Just like someone says, be happy, and we said, don't worry, be happy. Something would have happened in the people's minds to say, we know this word. We know exactly what this means. Because we've read this over and over again in the exact same construct. Makarioi, to you, because you did this, now you will receive that. A very common construct. It's a Greek construct. You'll, you'll, you'll find it in everything from the Iliad, uh, Homer's writings, Plato, all of these guys that are Greek geniuses in the area of literature, they all use this construct. In fact, it was such a common construct that the Jews actually incorporated it into their own story writing style. Blessed are you because you did this great deed, and because you did this great deed, now the God will come down and will bless you and give you something. But a better translation that they would have understood this word to mean is not blessed. Probably a closer definition would be a word like congratulations. Imagine it like this. You're reading a Greek story and this guy, he goes out and there's this huge beast, whether it's a cyclops or a dragon or a monster of some sort, and he has to battle this monster. There's no way he can win. The beast The monster is much greater than he is, but because he dug deep and decided, I'm I'm not going to lose here, and he goes and with a thrust of his sword or whatever he's using, a sling or whatever in these Greek stories, because he steps forward and defeats the beast. The Greek god who's looking down says, wow, I can't believe they just did that. Because you did that, I'm going to come down and communicate with you and give you a gift. And so the Greek God would come down and he would start out, Makarioi, congratulations. Because you slayed this monster, because you did this incredible inhuman feat, because you accomplished this, now I'm going to give you a gift. And he gives you some enchanted magical gift or power or ability. It is a very common construct in Greek literature. Jesus starts out his Sermon on the Mount using that construct by saying, congratulations to the meek. Because you are meek, you will now get this heavenly magical gift. Because you're a crybaby and you can't stop crying, congratulations. Because you cried so much, God looked down and said, that's amazing. I'm going to give you this magical heavenly gift. Now you can see why the people, when he starts this sermon illustration, are like, what? Did did he just say what I thought he said? It it couldn't possibly be because he just talked about the poor. And he didn't just use a normal word for poor. He used destitute. Uh, not, Not a person that is in need, a person who has every need. And he said, that person has done something so incredible to get a God's attention to say, because you've done that, which in our opinion is nothing, I think you're amazing. And I'm going to give you this, something you can never get on your own without the intervention of a God. And Jesus uses this construct. And you can imagine, first of all, the confusion. And then people start elbowing each other. This guy's funny. 
This is kind of funny. And they go from giggling to laughing. And by the time he gets to the end, they're roaring. They're roaring with laughter because he's congratulating for people, uh, congratulating people for things that you would never congratulate people, you would shame people for. He's trying to tell the people from the very intro of his sermon, God's kingdom is different from your kingdom. God's church is different from your church. And his followers are different than the people that you would call followers today. I want you to keep that in your mind because as we go through these beatitudes, I want you to think, the people think this is funny. This is humorous. Because every time you read the word blessed, I want you to read congratulations. And I want us to wrestle through this. And this is going to be a challenging one because there's a lot. You see both the front page and the back page has each one of the behaviors and each one of the blessings. Jesus says, congratulations, because you've done this behavior, I'm going to give you this blessing. And so as we go through, um, I want you to try to put yourself into that Greek mindset. They were Jewish, but the Greco-Roman Empire had completely changed their philosophy of how you approach life. And so uh, I want you to keep that in mind as you look at how this changes your idea. Back here, we have a question. For, for modern times, would it be somewhat like late night comics uh, satire? Isn't that great Monty Python, Monty Python-esque where you just got your arm cut off? Isn't that great? You're going to be blessed. Because in my old biblical tradition, uh, there was a song about Job, and it was, you know, Job, all your children are dead. And Job replies, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, all of your cattle are dead. What a blessing. Is it? And the song goes on and on like that. Yes. And I always thought it kind of where they would think of your curse. Look what just happened to you. And instead, Jesus is saying, you're blessed. Isn't this great? Yeah. Yeah. Like, whoa, what an exciting thing. You just lost everything. Exactly. Looking at the very first congratulatory statement that Jesus made, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What have you heard that that means, poor in spirit? What, what do you think? When Jesus said, congratulations to the poor in spirit, what have you heard that that means? Depressed. Depressed. Blessed or congratulations to the depressed. Boy. That would be great. Yes. Well, I was kind of thinking about your last, your last comment. Um, I looked up blessed in the dictionary. Um, thank goodness for you know, our phones here. But this is kind of coming together for me, so I just wanted to put it out there. Because it oh. says blessed it is a meaning. It says it helps us to overcome an inner disturbance that at times threatens to overwhelm us. Wow. So I was thinking about Paul when he said, I'm weak, mm -hmm. really I'm strong. Yeah. So we have this conflict all the time. Here's the Beatitudes. They're saying, oh, I'm poor in spirit, I'm this, I'm this. I'm helpless, I'm depressed in lots, in lots of ways. But really that inner disturbance means I'm gonna depend on God a lot more. Yeah. I don't know. That's what just popped up in my head. Yeah. That's my question. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Back here. Oh, I think bless, poor spirit is about 
to be humble. Yeah. Um, because if we're not go to God with humbleness, we're out. Mm-hmm. This is the problem of the heaven, yeah. pride. Yes. Very good. That's what I've heard growing up as well. And it is true. It can very well mean humble. We're going to have to parse this a little bit more when we get to the word meek. Because when people say, what does it mean to be meek? Once again, people come back to humble. And so we're going to talk about the differences between being meek and, and being poor in spirit. But humble is very close, but it's humble for a certain reason. And meek is humble for a different reason. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Yes, I agree. I would have said uh, uh, congratulations to those who have a humble attitude. Yes, very good. We were talking over here uh, earlier about uh, what you had written about to crouch or cringe, utter dissolution, absolute need. And we thought about the children that grow up in homes of abuse, the people that are slaves. Mm -hmm. They would be examples to me of those that are poor in spirit. They haven't had a chance. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for bringing us to that. Uh, You'll see on the study guide the Greek word ptokoi, ptokoi. That literally means, in the verbal form, it means to crouch or to cringe. Imagine a person kneeling on the sidewalk, crouched, cringing, as their hands are held forward for some sort of coin. That's the word they used in Christ's day for beggar. This word that we translate as poor in the spirit in its verbal form was used to say beggar. And not just any beggar, not a guy with a cardboard sign. This guy does not have cardboard or a sharpie, okay? He is not in need. He is destitute, okay? He is in absolute need, utter destitution. So, coming back to what Anesio said back there, humility, yes, this is someone who is humble, but they're not humble because they're overcoming pride. They're humble because they realize their absolute need, that they are destitute spiritually. Congratulations. That's why these people are like, did he say what I just said? Because it's congratulations to those of you who when you come into church, you cringe and you slump over a little bit, just praying that God will in some way have mercy on you because you are spiritually, utterly destitute. It is a state of mind that says, I don't have some spiritual needs. It says, I don't have anything. I am absolutely bankrupt spiritually. And Jesus says, congratulations, those of you who are spiritually bankrupt. Because you are spiritually destitute, you don't even feel like you belong in church. Because of that behavior, I am going to give you a reward. And the reward is the entire kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? Do you see why people set up a little bit taller? Did he say what I thought he just said? For the spiritually bankrupt, I'm going to give you all of heaven. A heavenly place that you don't even think you'll be let in the door. You're the owner. Your name is on the deed. 
Congratulations. He moves on to say congratulations to the crybabies, those who mourn. If you look at the word there, uh, uh, penthuntus, this is more than someone who has a tear running down their cheek. This is not someone who can cry in your presence and you not notice. This is the word that's used for grief that is manifested too deep for even concealment. You've seen it before, right? Maybe at the workplace, at school, wherever you're at. Someone that's crying so much that their shoulders are shaking and you're like, are they laughing or crying? Because they just cannot conceal the tears. Jesus is saying congratulations to those of you who are crying so hard that you can't even be consoled. Why do you think he said that? What is it about being in that state of mind that God would look down and say, oh, that's a behavior I want. That's a behavior I'm looking for. What what would your guess be? Why would God want people who are crying uncontrollably? That's because um, God knows he, he is everything that will meet that person's need. I'm the answer for that grieving person. Yeah. I, I look at Christ's statements, um, e- even elsewhere, where it says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. It's talking about when we're in heaven, uh, the very beginning of heaven, which means that we're not going to be emotionless looking and saying, ah, so we lost some loved ones. So, well, at least I got heaven. Um, it means there will be tears. And... In that place, it doesn't say God will dry up or remove our tear ducts. It says he will be there to wipe every tear from your eyes. And I don't think there will be a dry eye on judgment day. Um, Here God looks and says, I need people who are emotional. I, I don't need robots in church that don't care enough to cry. I need emotional members, emotional followers. And it's interesting that when he looks and says, for those of you that are crying uncontrollably, I relate to you so much so that, in our English translation, it says, for they will be comforted. But it's more than that, because the verbiage that's used, it says they will be made happy again. It's the same construct to say they will be re-congratulated they will feel like they just won a trophy. That's the verbiage. You will realize that your emotions are power. Your emotions are important to God. The fact that you can't control the tears shows God that you're not trying to control your emotions. You're trying to be real. And for that, God says, don't worry, because I'm going to give you a happiness that will not end. I will fulfill you. Back here. God is the ultimate healer in our brokenness. Yes. We're broken, and he will heal. Yes, absolutely. And that's very much uh, encapsulated in this text. Thank you. Harvey. When I was three, I promised myself I would never cry again. Mm -hmm. And then the dinosaurs died. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm sorry. You you left it too wide open, Harvey. (laughs) 
When I was 63, <laughs> I wanted my tears back. Yeah. And it took about three or four years before I was able to cry again. Wow. For which I'm very grateful. Yeah. It is a gift, isn't it? it is a gift. Tears are a gift. Yes, they are. They are. Very good. Over here, yeah. It's that feeling of being absolutely bereft. I think of those families who lost their children in Florida last week. Yeah. Just saying, I'm sorry, isn't no. enough. That doesn't comfort them. No. They have suffered a loss that will be with them the rest of their lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what's the only verbal comfort we can give to believers? You'll see them again in the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Yes, I see the word grieving as one who has great remorse. Yeah. And he understands his remorse because he's caught a glimpse of the righteousness of Christ. Yes. And he sees his true condition. Yes. And he's, he's so happy that, but yet he, he's conscious of his, of his sin, as it yeah. were, and the righteousness of Christ. You see this in the life of David, especially, I think it's Psalm 51, where... Uh, he writes this psalm when the prophet Nathan confronts him and says, I know what you did, uh, and uh, you're not a good man. Uh, David pours out his heart in, in saying very similar to what you just said. And even though David did some horrible things, he's seen as a man after God's own heart. And I think it very much has to do with what you just said. He was, he was truly mourning the mistakes that he made, and the effects it had on his relationship with God. Absolutely. Jordy. Um, to go back to the blessed, um, I'd never thought of that before. Uh, I just thought it meant blessed. Um, so I went through my Bible app, and I looked at Spanish and French, because I, I know a little of both. Um, and in Spanish, it said fortunate, which I thought was very ironic. And in French, it says grateful. Yeah. So it, 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 it seems like the irony is much more present in, yeah. in that kind of, in those translations. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's very much more powerful verbs than, it, it's very passive to say, well, you are blessed. Right. Well, great. How am I blessed? You know, uh, but absolutely fortunate and, uh, and grateful. Very good. Joseph. Could it be that the Beatitudes, uh, in some way, is preparing or was preparing the church for what would happen to Christ mm. in his suffering. Yes. And uh, or suffering for his cause. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing to lose in suffering, in allowing our emotions mm. to have the experiences that um, working for Christ would at any time require. Yeah. I just wonder how God felt when his son was on the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someday, and, and, and Thad and I have talked about this quite a bit, we've, we've got to revisit the very first series that kicked this whole Bible lab off, which talks directly about that. A picture of God that is absolutely transformational when you look at what Scripture says, because uh, most of the world sees um, the picture of the crucifixion seen in a much different way than, than the Bible actually unpacks it. Um, but definitely, when you look at the last two uh, or three verses 
that we're looking at here, verses 10, 11, and 12, very much it appears that Christ in his first sermon is trying to talk about his final act, which is not only his crucifixion, but it's what would happen to his followers who would be persecuted for his name's sake. And so I think you're on definitely the right track. And you have to think as well, when Matthew wrote this down, Luke includes four, the the first four, but Matthew includes, depending on how you count them, and different people count them different ways, eight, nine, or ten beatitudes here. Um, When you look at, at, at them, Matthew wrote this during a time of persecution. And so those last verses meant more to him than even the listeners at Jesus's uh, first sermon. I wanted to comment on crying or tears. Yeah. I think God was quite, um, he, he's so good to us hmm. that he built in within our bodies a relief system. Yeah. Because when you have deep grief, as we know this family did and I have experienced as well, Mm-hmm. Crying brings relief for the moment, and God just built that into us so that we would have that relief system. Uh, I agree. That's awesome. Back here. Um, I was thinking about the... Uh, how was I going to say this? Uh, I was thinking about the fact that Jesus kind of aligns himself with the poor and the destitute and also the oppressed, and um, grief like that is often the result of you know, being oppressed and the nature of Jesus's death as someone who was like under the thumb of an oppressive regime, I think he really does align himself with that. And he also points towards, you know, the end times where we will be comforted. The, the people who are oppressed will be comforted by, you know, his, his coming and his justice. Absolutely. Very good, Joel. Thanks. If you look at, at the next... Uh, congratulatory statements Christ makes. We finally come to the word meek. We talked about before. Uh, Blessed are the meek. That's praise. It is humility, but it's humility for those people who are powerful. Uh, This word for meek is also used uh, for racehorses, a horse that is the one expected to win. It has the power. It can run on its own, but it is a meek. They say the meek horse wins the race. The meek horse is the most powerful horse that trusts the rider who's guiding him. That's what blessed are the meek means. It means blessed are those who are in positions of great power and yet are humble enough to be guided so that they can win the race, which makes sense why he says even though you're powerful, but yet you're holding back because you're letting yourself be guided, don't worry, because the people of earth say, in order to gain the earth, you have to use your power. You have to use your sphere of influence in order to take over, whether gently or hostile, your power is meant to grow your territory. And Jesus says, no, the people that I look at from heaven and have great respect and admiration for that I would come down and give them the heavenly trophy of congratulations are the people who are powerful, yet let me guide them. Allow me to turn the reins so that you will win the race. Sharon. How this illuminates Moses. Moses 
wrote the book that says that he was the meekest man on earth. As long as he was meek, God could use him. But when he lost his meekness and struck the rock, it was all over. He couldn't yeah. lead anymore. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Let's turn over to the back side of the study guide. Because then Jesus goes into the rest of the list where he says, congratulations to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the words that are used here is as literal as you could possibly get in Scripture. It literally means if you are starving to do the will of God, you feel hungry like you've gone without a meal if you haven't done something to accomplish the will of God. He says if you are in that mindset they will be filled. And this is where it gets interesting because he uses a very interesting word. They will be filled is the same word that they used during that time for the feeding and fattening of animals in a stall. The fatted calf, same term. Those of you who are starving, I'm going to fatten you up, is what Jesus says. I'm going to fatten you up spiritually. We read, they will be filled. No, it's not just taking care of today's meal's hunger. He's fattening you up so that you can miss a meal. Okay? You could miss a meal and be okay. He goes next into the merciful. And this is where he probably lost a lot of the very devout Jewish Pharisees. Very first sermon, supposed to be making a good impression, and many of them are like, whoa, okay, this is heresy. Because when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, he took almost an exact phrase, ripped out a word, and put in his own word. Because it was a very common saying in Jesus' day. Within their theology, it is, blessed are the righteous, for they will receive mercy. Jesus says, no, you don't have to be righteous. You have to be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's, here's a challenge here. We today read this as saying, if I'm merciful to you, it's a golden rule, do, do unto others what you would have them do for you. If I'm merciful for you, now you're, you're merciful to me too, right? Remember, I was merciful. That's not what the Bible says. Because remember, who's giving out the congratulations? Who's giving out the trophies? So, if you're merciful to other people, who are you saying you want to be merciful to you? It's the same answer. God. Yes. If you're merciful to other people, even when you're justified to seek justice, God says, show mercy, and guess what? I'm going to do the same for you. Have you heard this before? Because we're going to get there in Matthew 6 when Jesus teaches you how to pray. Forgive us our debts. It's the same concept. But in this moment, when Jesus says, congratulations to those of you who simply show mercy to someone else, because God, when it comes to judgment day, he's going to show mercy to you, the Pharisees were furious. Why? Because the Pharisees, by the way, were an incredible movement for the Jewish faith. If it wasn't for the Pharisees, the Jewish faith would have crumbled and demolished a couple of generations before Christ. Why? Why? Because 
the Sadducees of the time who had gotten intertwined with the, with the Greek culture and the, and the importance of being invited to these Olympic-style events, these races, and having the best seats and these places of political power, the Sadducees had become quite liberal. The Pharisees were a group of people that sprouted up to say, look, this has gone too far. We're losing who we are. And so the Pharisees were a positive movement to say, let's protect God's movement and let's protect his decrees. Let's do what he told us to do because we're going to lose our relationship with God. And in their best intentions to try to not lose a relationship with God, they surrounded it with so many rules that they didn't recognize God when he met them. But it started out as a very positive movement to save the church. And we all have to battle that every single every single year of our life, don't we? Pure in heart. What do you think it means to be pure in heart? What, what have you heard growing up that it means to be pure in heart? Honest. Honest. Okay, that's good. Innocent. That's good too. What else? Sincere. Sincere. Good. Anybody else? Integrity. Integrity. Very, very good. According to the Greek words... Cardia katharoi. Those of you doctors here, you already know what that means. You've got one focus of your attention. And that one focus of your heart. By the way, the Jews, just like we use this you know, terminology, when we talk about our heart, we're not simply talking about the organ that pumps our, our lifeblood. We're, we're talking about our seat of emotions. The Jews used the term cardia, heart, as the seat of emotions. So if your emotions hyperfocus is on God, that's what Jesus defined as pure in heart. So you can be as kind as you want. You can be the greatest philanthropist in the world. You can go through your life and not do anything that the moral police would say is out of line. And still, Jesus wouldn't define that as pure, pure in heart. Because his definition here, where he says, congratulations to those of you whose heart is focused on God, that's all he was talking about. If your heart, your emotions, everything, it is truly a love affair. You can't stop thinking about him. Every waking moment, you're doing the special things, you're reading the love note. You're writing one back. You can't wait to talk to each other. That is pure in heart. Jesus says, congratulations to those of you who are in that type of relationship with me because that very thing that you dream of, the thing that your heart just burns for, is to be together. Anybody here ever have a long-distance relationship? Long-distance relationship. Who wants to share? How, how, how far, how long? All right, Linda, coming back to you. That last comment you meant, though, relationship with God, sounds like the best Valentine ever. Yes, it is heaven's Valentine. So, moving on. Stu and I had a long-distance relationship because when he met, I was in nursing school, but he was at Faith for Today. Is Dan Matthews here today? I think he's teaching in a different okay, class today. Okay, Stu is yeah. associate producer there, and um, 
we met here in Loma Linda through mutual friends. It'll be quick. But it was a long-distance relationship because Stu was in Thousand Oaks and I was here in Loma Linda, and we didn't have cell phones. We couldn't FaceTime. We used the phone, and we wrote letters, and it drew the heart nearer. Yeah. yeah. Turned out to be a good thing. I think so. Very good. <clears throat> there was a... In the 1950s, a movie actress, Dolores Hart, who was the one who on, on screen gave first person to kiss Elvis Presley. And she was, she was a Catholic. She was engaged to a young man. And she broke off the engagement and entered a convent. And he said what she told him, I'm sorry, but I fell in love with God. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Um, when my wife and I met, she was in school in Brazil, and we dated for five years, um, long distance, where she would be there and come here on her breaks. Uh, and I say here, not Southern California. It was Northern Idaho, so it was a little bit uh, tougher to get up there two days of flying and sitting in airports. Um, so we did that for five years and got married, and now she is back east going to school in Boston. <laughs> for the next two and a half years. so You guys are not going to know how to live together. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's awesome. But you guys, are, you guys are great. Back here. My husband was in Vietnam our first year of marriage. Oh, my word. For a whole year. Whole year. Yeah. That yearning, that, that feeling. And I think many of us have probably dated, um, you know, for some amount of time. But to stay dedicated like what we've just heard... It's that burning commitment to say, my heart's focus is on you, and my greatest life's desire is to see you face to face. So it makes absolute sense that when you see the gift, the reward that God offers to the pure in heart, is that they will see God. They will be where he is face to face, finally, no longer a long-distance relationship. As we look at the, at the rest, the, the peacemakers, for sake of time, I, I'm going to run through these. The peacemakers are not simply those who get trampled upon and say, whatever, go on, you're going to do it anyways. No, these are the people who say, I see a situation, tempers are flaring, let me step in. And you step in and you make peace. Jesus says he loves that. He doesn't want us to fight. In fact, he says in several other places, his greatest desire is that we be one, like he and his father are one. He doesn't want us to be fighting with each other. He wants you to step in and say, hey, we're all family. Let's all take a breath and let's relax. And he says, when I see that happen, I'm so proud of you. I want to call you my girl or my boy. You will be called children of God. And I'm, I'm very disturbed that this is written in the passive tense. You will be called. Because it's in Greek, it is not written in the passive tense. It is written literally, God will say to you, you are my child. God himself looking at you saying, ah, I'm so proud of you. Can't wait to take a selfie with you because of what you just did. And we're going to commemorate this moment. You're my kid. Then, he gets into the serious part. Blessed are you, 
who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is a literary device known as inclusion. That's why some people think there's only eight uh, true beatitudes, is because the very first one, what did you receive? Kingdom of heaven. What's this one? Kingdom of heaven, it's bookends. So many people feel like it kind of ended here, and then Jesus says, oh, and there's two more, uh, and added on to it. When you look at, at uh, the last one, uh, the insulted, the persecuted, the defamed for being Christ followers, did you know that the Jews considered verbal abuse of this sort uh, to be extremely vicious? In fact, they saw it as a combination of crimes. They considered it as evil as idolatry, fornication, and bloodshed all combined. Yes, to insult someone. Why? Because you're killing them. You're killing that person in public. You're taking away their credibility. You're taking away possibly their ability to earn an income. You're taking away their pride, their name. And so the rabbis consider this as a very serious offense. Jesus said it's going to happen to you. You are going to be crucified verbally for following me. But if you go through that, don't worry, because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, not great, only great is your reward in heaven. He says, rejoice and be glad. These words, rejoice and be glad, are the same words used just chapters earlier in Matthew 2, verse 10, when we have this group of magi that come and they finally see baby King Jesus. Scripture tells us in the same words that Jesus uses here, that the Magi, and once again, we see them as very prim and proper, but the Bible tells us differently because the words that we use, rejoice and be glad, means you're so excited, you're jumping up and down. That's the literal translation. Jumping up and down, you're so giddy and excited. Jesus says, look, if you are crucified verbally for following Jesus and being Christ follower, jump up and down laughing and shouting for joy. The same as the Magi did when they saw King Jesus face to face. Because guess what? Great is your reward in heaven because you too will see Jesus face to face in heaven. Boy, I can't wait for that day when you and I are right there jumping up and down side by side. So excited because we're seeing God face to face. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And I can't wait for you to come back next week. Episode 26 has a real treat in store because all this time you thought Jesus was saying something else when he said, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. But when you see what Jesus was saying, and how the people were laughing, and how some of the people were quite confused. Uh, you are going to see Christ's first sermon like never before. So I invite you back for episode 26 as you continue to change and to grow into the beautiful character of God. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.